I'm Grace, the Amy Santiago of Royal Bloggers. And I'm Jessica, the Dorothy's Borina of Royal Bloggers. And we'd like to welcome you to On Air, the podcast where two cynical Brits discuss the latest royal news and the truth behind the story. Hello everyone and welcome to episode seven now of the On Air podcast. We are so delighted to have you. So before we start, I think we had mentioned that we're going to do an episode on the current Prince Andrew kerfuffle um, and we asked for your questions. We've had some fantastic ones in so far, um, but if you have any questions on the current situation with Prince Andrew, please drop, drop us an email um, on onairpodcast at gmail.com or send us a message on our Instagram or Tumblr, both of which are on our podcast. Um, and we are planning to do that episode next week. For this week, we are starting off um, with one topic, which is sort of, again, taking us back to the end of 2021 slightly. Um, we just can't let it go. Um, <laughs> Well, it started off really um, with the Duchess of Cornwall, uh, Camilla, um, who received the Order of the Garter from the Queen at the end of last year, start of this year. And so we thought that it would be good to talk about um, Camilla getting the honour specifically, but then also a bit more generally about what um, these honours are and how they work um, to kind of explain it to everyone. Obviously, every country has its own honour system. So the British royal family follows the British honour system. The Swedish royal family will follow the Swedish one. And within each country, there are different types of honours. So in Britain, um, there are two times a year where big honours get announced. You have your New Year's honour, which obviously is New Year's, and the Queen's birthday honour list. And there's the odd occasion where other honours are announced, but they're much more rare. And then even within... <laughs> within that there are subsets of honours and there are ones that people will know really well so people hear a lot about MBEs and night and then you get the slightly more sort of unique ones that maybe aren't heard about as much like the order of the garter which um, I'd say royal watchers have probably heard of even if they didn't necessarily understand it as well but maybe not the general public and then you get onto things like the order of St Michael and St um, George who is a lot which is a lot less heard of in general. The Order of the Garter is the uh, most senior order because each of these levels of honours sort of has um, a level of seniority. So some will be higher than others. And the Order of the Garter is the highest um, honour that can be given in England. The Order of the Garter goes back to um, the 14th century. So it is, you know, pretty old. Very old. Um, yeah, been around for a while. And I think, I mean, I remember reading stories about kind of um, the legends around the Order of the Garter and about how, because the Garter is a, it's basically like an item of women's underwear, basically. It's like, it goes around the um, the thigh usually. And I think most people would associate it with weddings nowadays, like wedding garters. So there's, you know, it's a bit of a... Um, a bit of a strange one, but there's sort of these legendary um, things that go alongside it where, you know, there was a woman whose garter fell off and the, the king picked it up and used it as the name of the order. But we don't really know, I don't think, exactly what the origin is. But nonetheless, for the last sort of 700 years or so, it has been kind of the most prestigious thing that can be awarded to, to anybody. And they're also some of the only honours that are chosen by 
the sovereign officially. Most honours in Britain are chosen by the government. So they are nominated, they go to an honours committee, it then goes to the government who approve it, and then it is formally approved by the Queen, which I imagine is just her going, yeah, sure, that's fine, um, to whatever names come through. But then you get your order of the garter, your order of the thistle, the um, order of merit, and a few others, which are from... Uh, the monarch herself essentially so they are a lot more personal and they tend to be the ones given to members of the royal family for example. I suppose the question that I asked at the beginning really was why is it such a big deal that Camilla has this because you know there's as we've mentioned there's a few different options that can be given to people um, this is just the decision of the queen it's not like a reflection of them doing something specific for the country um, like for example uh, Zara has does she have an MBE or an OBE? I think she's an OBE. Okay. OBE. So she got, but she got that through her horse riding. So she got that independent. She would have had that if she wasn't the queen's granddaughter. Um, so the the order of the garter is slightly different. So you, some people might be sort of wondering why it's a big deal. It's very very difficult to get the order of the garter. And Camilla is actually the first married in non blood royal to get the order of the garter um, as a member of the royal family in the Queen's entire reign. So that includes, um, you know, Diana and Sarah Ferguson and all of those people, but it also includes when she has visits from uh, heads of state overseas. So like King Felipe, when he came with Letizia, she wouldn't have been given the Order of the Garter. The Queens don't get it. So that is a very significant thing. And I know that when I've been asked in the past, you know, do you think Camilla will get the Order of the Garter from the Queen? And I've always, always said I didn't think that she would because it's so difficult to, to get it and that um, it would be something that Charles would do as one of his first acts as king. And then so when this announcement came out, I was just really surprised. Yeah, I was definitely shocked. I think the Queen, Queen Elizabeth, is very stingy with her honours. She tend, She will give them to visiting monarchs, but not spouses of the monarch um it she even her personal sort of family um uh, honors she tends to sort of wait and for people to prove themselves before she starts handing them out whereas if you go to sweden um king carl gustav gives the order of seraphim to the babies at their christenings so she's quite stingy and if you think about it camilla has actually only been a member of the royal family for 16 17 years she only married in in 2005 even though she's been on the scene for a lot longer um and at this stage I want to say I I wouldn't have I mean I didn't expect her to give it to her anyway but I don't think if she hadn't already done it I didn't think it would be something that would then was going to go on and happen I very much assumed Charles would give it to Camilla and then in the future William would go on and give it to Catherine um but yeah it's it's a real show of support that I was I was not expecting well I, I think it's an interesting question because um so Diana and Charles were married for about 15 years, I think, officially. But they'd been separated for years before then, and everybody kind of knew that they were separated. Um, so we didn't actually get as long of Diana being a official consort, working royal type thing um, as we did, as we've had of Camilla. So I mean, we'll never know the answer to this. Um, but it's interesting. Like I don't know if this is a change in the Queen's attitude where she's decided to to give this to Camilla to recognise that she's, I don't know, worked really hard or gone through a lot or whatever it is, or whether she would have given it to Diana as well after about the same length of time if it wasn't known that Diana and Charles's marriage was so, so terrible. 
um like I don't know yeah and basically I'm saying I don't know that if this is a shift and she's becoming more lenient in her old age and she's just like give give awards to everyone um or if she's this is actually the policy that she would have always had for the wife of the heir of the throne she's just never had a chance to show that until now yes I think there was a real long period of time before um Kate got the Royal Victorian Order and the royal family order and there was a really long discussion about people being like oh it's because the queen hates her because it's the queen's personal thing and she's not giving them out and everyone's rebuttal was always like the queen doesn't really give things out very often like harry didn't get a lot of big um sort of celebrations and he was the son of the future king because he was still kind of maturing into becoming a full-time royal and and i think there's such a public sort of uh divide of opinion about camilla it's not like giving an award, uh, an award, a order to Camilla is going to be a. It's, it's not a PR thing. You're not going to be like, oh, look at the Queen getting on so well with Camilla, who we all love dearly. So it's it's definitely not been a PR decision in the same way that it would be to, I don't know, have given it, for example, to Catherine or to, or it would have been to give to Diana. Um, but yeah, I think it's. Inter- I I do think she's becoming softer in her own old age a bit, and I also think it might have something to do with the fact that Philip obviously isn't an order of the garter anymore. He's not with us, and Harry won't become one. Um, and Andrew's essentially never going to do it again. So I think the royal garter members are diminishing. That is a good point. Like, how much is it that? Um... I mean, we don't see what goes on in private. Maybe Camilla throughout this whole thing has been very important to the Queen personally. Maybe it is just the kind of thing of being like, well, remember, we still have people who are around and I'm going to give them stuff while they're still here and while I'm still here. Um, um, It's very difficult to know because this is another thing, like the Queen doesn't give any justification for her decisions. She doesn't publish a statement that says, you know, in honour of, uh, all of the hard work that Camilla has done or and the personal support she's shown to me, she's going to get this honour. She just decides this is this person's going to get this honour and that's that. So we don't we don't ever really get a window into her motivations for why she gives it to certain family members when she does. I mean, I'd say she's very she's very invested in like hierarchy. Um, it's not necessarily that she personally likes you more than anybody else. She's known to be very close to Sophie. Um, but Camilla is the wife of the future king and so it is there is a certain element of it being about respecting that hierarchy yes and I also think it's a lot to do with how I don't want to say like how old the person is but um, for you know if I married into the royal family tomorrow even if I married Charles for some reason I don't think I would be in line for any kind of order unless I had been in the royal family doing that job for a long period of time I don't think the queen's one to just be like oh they're married to the next in line there you go and that is different to other royal families as you mentioned earlier it's sort of um lots of royal families as soon as you marry in you'll get something or as soon as you're born you'll get something or as soon as you reach adulthood you'll get something there's it's kind of like um, you're in the royal family so you get it whereas the queen does seem to have this attitude that it's sort of something that you get after a certain level of service it's not just something that you get automatically which probably is sensible because if she'd given it automatically then Diana and Sarah Ferguson would both have it and you know Fer- Fergie is quite um, 
controversial. So uh, <laughs> it probably works out in her favor that she waits a while until she's absolutely sure that this person's not going anywhere. Not, but it does it does seem very stingy. I think it particularly seems stingy to me when other royal families visit. And you oftentimes the queen who is visiting won't get anything. And, and I don't think it's because it's a, she's a queen. I, you know, if we know that she gives it to reigning queens like Margrethe and when Beatrix was queen, they got it and their male spouses didn't. Um, it's because then the monarch, but it does, it does feel a bit like all of these other families are sharing these things and being friendly with each other and giving honors and orders to anyone. And then the queen's just like, mine are too special for you. Um, so I don't think you should have it. It is always really funny when other royals come to Britain for a state visit and they give the queen and they would give Philip and Charles and Camilla and literally anyone they met, like three or four orders each. And then the queen would be like, you can have it and no one else and that's only if you're lucky yeah yeah it's just doesn't it seems a bit imbalanced when you see some of the more generous royal families during a state visit but I think the other kind of big story uh the other person who got an honor that's kind of caused a bit of a stir and got the order of the garter was um Tony Blair so our former prime minister um and it's there's, it, there's been a lot of controversy. There's been sort of a petition that the government have responded to because it got to a certain number, so they had to. And they basically just said, well, it's the Queen who decides, so it's all up to her. And so a lot of people are really angry about Tony Blair being given the Order of the Garter because um, of kind of his role in the conflict in Iraq. I think that that's, that's, an, that's an interesting one because it kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier about the fact that she doesn't release the justification for why anybody gets a particular order. Um, so she's not said, you know, I'm giving this to Tony Blair because he's a really nice guy and I like him a lot. You know, it, it, we can't draw any personal conclusions about her view. Um, and I think also the Queen tries to be nonpartisan. She tries not to show support for any particular political party. And so it's been the custom that she always offers the Order of the Garter to somebody who served as prime minister at some point. You know, Tony Blair has actually had the second longest wait for the, the Garter out of any of her prime ministers. Um, so she, she tries, to, because if she offered it to just conservative prime ministers, it would be an obvious bias. So she, her, her policy seems to be that she'll offer it to everybody. Margaret Thatcher had the Order of the Garter and was a terrible human being. But the ultimate thing is, I think people are criticizing this individual choice rather than criticizing the whole system, which is that the queen is allowed to honor, give these honors to whoever she wants, she, and she doesn't have to provide her justification for it. And she is expected to be nonpartisan and therefore give to anybody, regardless of, of how bad or good they were as, at being prime minister. Yeah, I think what you're saying is right. And it's the fact that People are very focused on Tony Blair. And I think it's because Tony Blair was prime minister for so long, from 1997 until 2007. Um, and because he's had such a long wait, there's been a really long time since she last offered a prime minister the Order of the Garter. Um, so it, it's quite a new, for a lot of people who read them, it's been a long time, or it's possibly the first time they've read the New Year's Honours and seen a prime minister get this honour. So, you know, for them, it's like, oh, why is she honouring Tony Blair and not these people? Um, but I think you're right. I mean, I don't think prime, minister, prime ministers should get an award for doing their jobs, quite frankly, because I don't think any of them do a particularly good job at it. 
Um, and I was reading a lot of um, like the people who like turned down honours. And then you look at some people who were given honours and it's like, I mean, this one obviously wasn't from the Queen, but like Kaiser Wilhelm was given yeah. an honour and <laughs> eventually got revoked. But like the honours aren't necessarily a good sort of be like, oh, they're only given to good people. Occasionally they are given to people who are politically powerful. And, you know, there's no one more politically powerful in the UK than, you know, the Queen and the Prime Minister. And she does give it to all of them. I'd expect, you know, in a couple of years to see, you know, Gordon Brown will get it, David Cameron, and it will just keep going. And every time there'll be a whole kerfuffle, they'll be like, oh, Gordon Brown led us into this massive financial crash, even though it actually wasn't his fault. And, oh, David Cameron did Brexit, even though it wasn't his fault. And, oh, Theresa May did this, even though it wasn't her fault. And it's going to be recycled every time, and unless Charles decides to just, like, put the kibosh on it and never give any more order of the gutters out to prime ministers ever it is a conversation that's going to be recycled and i think it is in stands in such a stark contrast because it came out at the same time obviously as new year's honor list which has your obs and your mbes which tend to go to the members of the public or sports people where it says for services to sport yeah, definitely. I think it's that vacuum where because she's not offering any justification and because people don't necessarily understand how this works, when there's a vacuum of information, people always sort of fill it in for themselves. Um, but I suppose even, you know, with the system um, where, there, where there is sort of a transparent process of how things are decided and it's not the Queen who makes the personal decisions, they are kind of still open to abuse. Um, so we've seen that quite recently with Prince Charles and the accusation that people who work for him were trying to use his status to influence the um, decision making process for who got MBEs and OBEs and things based on who donated to them. In different ways, the entire system is flawed. Um, and there are lots of people who have called for um, the system to be kind of reformed. Or at the very least, the names to change. Yeah, the name to be changed because we're not an empire anymore. And for a lot of people, the term empire does not have positive connotations um, for obvious reasons. So, I've, I mean, I've heard alternatives like the Order of British Excellence, which sounds terrible, but I suppose it's a it's a better it's a better alternative to empire. I mean, Benjamin Zephaniah is always the one that comes to my mind because he gets offered it so often, and he's like literally not no and it's because of the name um like it, it does amuse me when I look I do like to look through the list of people who like have officially turned it down or the ones who are like it's a situation I often think would I would I accept it if I was offered and like yes I definitely would I'd like to think I have some morals and would be like no I would I'm not standing for this because I fundamentally against the concept of this kind of weird honor system and thing like this but I would I would definitely accept it I'd like to be knighted I'd like to be Sir Grace I don't think I don't want to be a dame. I don't quite like that. But no, dame is dame is a terrible word. But but yeah, I I've I've had the same sort of inner thought where I'm like, would I give it up for my principles? I think if you were famous, you could give it up, but you'd have to you'd have to make sure everybody knew that you gave it up. Like if it was offered to yeah, you, yeah, like I was offered it, but I said no because I'm principled person. Exactly. So you want everyone to know that you're good enough to have been offered it, but you just don't want to accept it. You're too cool for it. But yeah, I did have. I had a lot of fun when I was um researching the honor system, looking at like the honor system in different countries and who's got what honors. And I, yeah, I did quite look like looking at like the names of all the honors in different countries because I'm gonna say Britons are really boring, like the Order of the Garter, the Order of the Thistle, and then you've got like the Order of the Elephant in Denmark and the Order of the Gold Lion in the Netherlands, and they're great. And then I got to Monaco, and it's like they've got four 
and I was like, how do they? I was kind of shocked that they only had four. And then I was like, hang on, how do they have so many? Yeah, they have like six people who live in Monaco. <laughs> who are they giving these awards to? And like that, uh, that just threw me for like a really long time. And then the other one I found really hard to look at was Spain because it was just like they had them here and then they didn't have them here and then they had them again and they got rid of them again. And they had, and I was like, you know what? I give up. I give up looking at Spain. <laughs> I think that's the Spanish monarchy in a nutshell, really, isn't it? It's like they were there. No, they weren't. They were there, and then they weren't. Yeah, but even like deposed monarchies still give out um, honors. So um, there was an event a couple of years ago, and we saw Princess Maria Olympia of Greece, who is the granddaughter of the former king Constantine, and she had a Greek order that she'd obviously been given by the king. And I just, it, I think that kind of puts the whole thing into perspective. It's like for an ordinary member of the public, it's really nice to be recognized and to get a little, you know, medal or something. And, you know, it makes you feel special. And I, I'm not going to judge anybody who does accept it. Um, but if, if it can be given, if an order for a monarchy that no longer exists can be given, it makes the whole thing seem really, really pointless. And that's when you realize that it, really it's just a sash that rich people give each other to make it themselves feel important like that you don't get anything as a result of this in the uk you get to wear stupid outfits once a year but it's it really is just a ribbon that they give out to make themselves feel important so um now obviously we're going to move into our next topic and we thought what better to talk about as our actual sort of first 2022 topic than um, Jubilees because this year we have or will have had um, two significant Jubilees um, which are in royal watching terms the anniversary normally of the coronation or the ascension of a monarch to the throne Um, and there are lots of different sort of jewels so you have your silver which is 25 your gold which is 50 your diamond which is 60 they've been pretty much invented platinum which is 70 and I'm sure they'd invent a few more if anyone ever made it to 80 um but this year we have two big ones so Queen Margarita of Denmark has her gold uh, jubilee this year it was the 14th of January and it is the anniversary of her ascension to the throne um and then Queen Elizabeth II of Great Britain has her platinum jubilee which is 70 years this year and the anniversary of her ascension to the throne which is on February the 6th and yeah it's been quite interesting Margarita's sort of celebrations have predominantly been postponed to the summer because of Covid and on Monday last week the palace announced the official uh, itinerary shall we say for the um, bank holiday extra bank holiday weekend that Britain's going to have in June to celebrate the Queen Elizabeth's um, jubilee. I do think it's interesting. I think the point about it being something that happened because their parent died a lot of the time or their grandparent um, is something that people often overlook. Um, it's a bit weird when you think about it that, you know, we I understand why we celebrate the um, the monarch taking the throne, it, but um, for a lot, you know, we, we treat it as a very celebratory thing, but for the monarch themselves, it's also the reminder of one of the saddest days in their life. And I think the, the Danish royals did a really good job of reminding us of that this time because they posted, they posted um, like images and videos from the day that Margrethe took the throne and you could see how distraught she was and um, 
how this was such a solemn occasion for her. I mean, I'm I'm rewatching series one of The Crown at the moment. Um, and I was watching um the episode where King George died, and it very and I was like, oh, it's quite sad, isn't it? Like her dad's dead, and she's suddenly the queen, and she's all alone, and everything's changed. And like you mentioned, the um Danish royals did a really good job this week of showcasing that because they were showing pictures of Margarita in her sort of her mourning attire and it it is such a horrific event because especially those first few years um and I think for both Elizabeth and Margarita their dads died quite young they they weren't elderly men passing they were younger men dying of illness um so it must be quite a, a strange moment um, and that's uh, that's one of the many reasons why I prefer a system of abdication um where it can be a completely celebratory occasion that you're passing the torch from one person to the other I think it's really interesting to think about like why do we do these jubilees I think it is a very strange thing but it's it's something quite unique to countries with a monarchy or with this kind of system of government where people are on the throne or on the seat of power for a very long time um and I mean, I don't know about Denmark, but Britain is very nostalgic, like mm. literally about anything. They're like, oh, remember the good old days of the war. I think it's kind of it's kind of human nature in a way to want to bookmark our lives in a way that like my cat doesn't do that. He doesn't think about his birthdays and things. <laughs> and so when we have a monarchy, it's just sort of natural human behavior that we choose to celebrate a jubilee because we like to celebrate things and in Britain in particular we will relish and I I don't drink anymore but uh, we relish any opportunity to have some sort of party to drink things to put up bunting we get a bank holiday so we get an extra day off work so I think for us it's 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 just about the fact that we get to have a party and any reason is justification enough but it's also for the royals it's quite a good PR push um because they can look back on the whole of the monarch's reign um highlight their achievements and remind people subtly like oh these are all the things we've done and these this is how we add value to society and um we're going to give you a big party isn't that great don't you love us yeah i do i think you know we are we are big on celebrating i don't know if it's a british thing i don't know if denmark has bank holidays but um we like we like a nice party and it is like you said it's something that people don't really do in other countries and it's just something that it is an excuse for a big sort of get together and celebration and I think particularly this year countries would like a big celebration um I mean I looked back at what the queen does for her jubilees and what she's done in previous jubilees as well and um I mean they don't vary much from the schedule like they're on they have a church service usually um they'll have some sort of dinner or concert or um some kind of more showy element to it there's always something to do with trees like planting trees and there's always something to do with lighting beacons where they'll light beacons in major cities or something and that seems to be standard for pretty much every jubilee it's like the queen likes trees she likes lights and she likes having a party that usually has cows and horses. Although my, I do have a memory of the 2012 Jubilee because I was um, I was in London that day completely accidentally to go and see the Damien Hirst retrospective at the Tate Gallery, Tate Modern. 
Um, oh, yeah. And my mum and I hadn't realised that it was the day of the Jubilee boat pageant and the Thames goes right past the Tate. It was also raining. So people were looking for places that they could go for shelter before, you know, in between when the boats weren't actually there. Um, so we just arrived to the Tate Modern and there were hundreds of English people with their faces painted with Union Jacks, um, wearing rain <laughs> ponchos, just sitting in the, the main entrance to the Tate Modern. We were like, what is going on? And then we realised that it was it was the boat pageant. So I do remember that as well. I, the boat pageant did stick in my mind, but only because it, was, it seemed like such a weird thing to do, which is why it's really confused me that they're doing it again this time because it seemed I mean I'm sure it was lovely for everyone involved but I remember being at my cousin's house and it was on on the in the background while I was playing with some of my sort of my cousin's children and it was really bad because it was raining you couldn't see anything um Philip got ill from it I remember that I also have this really odd memory of the must have been the gold, her golden jubilee in 2002 and I don't remember very much but the only two things I remember are one I was in rainbows at the time and I got the Queen's Golden Jubilee rainbow bed that was on my tabard. Aww. I don't remember what I did for it. I think I just got it, but I remember that. And then I remember um, they had like a picnic at the palace, mm. but it had like Tracy Beaker and the Harry Potter cast. And like, that was so exciting for me. And it took me a really long time to realise that that weird thing with all my favourite like children's TV stars and the Queen was for her jubilee i just thought it was some weird like fever dream i'd had so if anyone knows where it is online please direct me to it because i would like to watch it again <laughs> um yeah my i always find it really funny when royal the royal family come up automatically at school i mean we had british week this week and at the start we we're like well what makes something british and like what do the children think of and they do think of the royal family but they know about the queen and they know about prince charles and they maybe know about william and kate and harry and that's it and they have vague knowledge as like the queen's in charge and maybe she could kill Boris Johnson. They're not really sure. Like they're like, could she get rid of him? And I'm like, well, she could, but then we'd have more. <laughs> they're like, mm, maybe not. But you know. Um, and something that the Danish royal family did this year and have really just heightened my expectations is they released a family photo, well, two family photos. They released a, one of them having dinner and then a sort of staged one. Um, and I learned from heaven, it's the first time they've released an official family photo of the whole family since 2016 and I was like I have been on the boat of give me a new British royal family photo since 2012 when I thought it would be a great time to do it because it's a jubilee and since then we've had new members join the family we've had people leave Philip's obviously died um Harry and Meghan have moved to a different country and I'm like give me another one because we haven't had a proper full um family photo shall we say since you know pre-Kate era pre-Sophie era since the William and Harry were you know young men I think I loved seeing the photographs because as you say you know some royal families you don't get very many photographs of them at all as a family um and I love looking back at these ones that it's like look at how much they've grown either because they've added new people or just because they've gotten older um I really like that kind of visual record that you can see I really liked those those photographs and I, I really enjoyed that even though they couldn't do all of the celebrations that they planned for um, my greatest jubilee that they still did something and they still released these photographs and I think I read that it was a surprise for her that the, the family sort of organized this surprise dinner for her which is a very sweet thing and it was so lovely to see them all um together and like the kids are so grown up Christian 
Prince Christian is going to be 19,000 feet tall. He is so tall. Yeah, so that was a really nice thing that, you know, they they kind of shared that with us because they couldn't do the big COVID, yeah, big celebrations during COVID. Um, I mean, I think the Queen is being very optimistic. I mean, I, I admire her optimism and I hope she's right. Um, I do think, every, I have no hopes for this actually going ahead. Um, and I, I like because obviously you can apply for tickets and it's like, oh, the tickets will come out in February. And I'm like, but then the event still might not happen. Yeah, it's very true. And like, they, I don't know if they'll want to encourage crowds to gather. And that's the whole point of a Jubilee. It's like, it's, if, imagine if they'd done that boat pageant and no one had been watching them. That would have just been the weirdest thing. <laughs> um so i yeah i I don't really know you know they're be, they're all being very optimistic at the moment yeah, probably roll out of bed and what, turn the tv on about 11 o'clock and be like i like his queen and then yeah. forget we, you know in a few months time we will hopefully um fingers crossed be able to have um a slightly bigger celebration for migrators um jubilee but we thought it would be a good opportunity to just talk a little bit about her as a person and her reign and um our thoughts and opinions on um migrator and i have to say before before we did this podcast i i knew the basics about migrator but i don't i wouldn't have ever said that i knew a huge amount about her life one thing I noticed when I was doing Maya, who is Margarita, is how similar she is to Queen Elizabeth. Things like neither of them were born to be queen. Um, we know that Queen Elizabeth went to the throne because um, King Edward abdicated and put her father in that position. And then when um, Margarita was born, Denmark was still, it wasn't just um, male preference, it was male only, only men could inherit the throne. Um, and her father ended up changing the law after he had three daughters and then wasn't going to have any more children. Um, and they moved it to male preference. Um, so essentially, Margarita would take the throne, although like the queen, she was never definitely going to take the throne because at any point her father could have had a son. And I always think that must have quite an impact on someone to be like, this is your life unless there's a boy. Yeah, definitely. Because in Denmark, it would have been her uncle, whose name I cannot pronounce. It's like Knud or Knud. I don't know. Um, he would have been the one who would have um, been next in line instead of Margrethe. Um, and the change, I think I think it was quite a difficult process. It had to go through the government a couple of times to get it done. And it was really, you know, it wasn't just because, you know, he had three daughters. It was also because they were immensely popular. Um Margarita and her par- and her sisters and parents were incredibly popular amongst the public. And so there was also a feeling that people wanted Margarita to be queen. Um, but, you know, there are other families where there have been changes and um, it hasn't been done retroactively because the, the kids were born and, you know, they were teenagers by the time the change was being made. Like in Norway, um, they did change it so that it was... Um, you know whoever was born first would be the the heir um but when they changed it Hakon um and Marta Louise were already teenagers and they thought that you know they already knew their lives they already had been prepared so it wouldn't be fair to change it whereas in Denmark I think Margrethe was about 13 when it actually went through um so she spent that sort of first chunk of her life 
not knowing 100% whether or not she was going to be queen. You know, I think it was, it must have been very strange, especially because her uncle didn't necessarily have the best reaction to it because he had been living the last, God knows how many years, being like, well, I'm the next king. I am the heir. Apparently that's my job. They gave him the title of crown prince and never gave the title of crown princess to Margarita. She was always princess, even though she was the next queen. And I imagine it must be, you know, when your uncle is like, that's my job you're having. Yeah. And when you are, you know, she was a young girl taking, who was essentially told like, you are going to have this very important role when you are older. It must have been quite monumental. But I think you actually made an interesting point about like the similarities between Margrethe and Elizabeth. Because I hadn't really realised that. But I remember the first time I ever watched an interview with Margrethe because she studied um, in England. She went to an English school for, I think, when she was a teenager. And then she went to Cambridge University. And I remember the first time I ever heard her speak in English. I was like, I thought you were a Danish person. You're you're speaking (laughs) in a posh English accent. You sound exactly like the Queen. Yeah, she's... it fascinates me because I was doing a lot of research into it because there's a lot of similarities. The fact they're both, essentially their ascension dates were almost 20 years apart. Mm-hmm. Um, the Queen's the longest reigning monarch alive. Margarita is the second longest reigning. And she's, I think I'm sure I read that she'd come out and said that she almost views Queen Elizabeth as a, almost like an inspiration in that kind of, it's a role for life. It's a spiritual role for life to be a monarch of a country and Margarita said that she, like the Queen, she has no intention of abdicating because this is sort of her role in life is to be the Queen of Denmark. Definitely, yeah. She said that the Queen is somebody that she admires. And I think maybe because we're younger, um, it's hard to spot the differences in people who are older. So you just t- tend to think of everybody who's got grey hair is like an old person. And so you forget old. Yeah, you forget that Margrethe <laughs> is actually significant significantly younger than the Queen and definitely would look up to her as kind of a role model, as she said herself. Um and I'm sure that's kind of influenced her reign. I think one similarity or one situation where they had um another similar sort of challenge um or where you could draw parallels between their life um is in their choice of partner. The uh, Margrethe in 1965, um, she was studying in London and she met um, Henry de Montpezat and he was working at the French embassy in London. He was a French person. They fell in love. They got engaged in 1966 and married in 1967. And he changed his name to Henrik. So most people will know him as Prince Henrik. And they faced the similar challenge in that both of the men in their lives were reportedly or very much openly um (laughs) struggling with the idea that they were submissive in some way to their wives because their wives are the queens and they were the sort of consorts and so they always had to walk a few steps behind over the years Henrik very publicly and repeatedly said that he thought he should be king um he said that because the government didn't make him king he wasn't going to be buried in the um the tomb that had been designed for him with Margrethe he complained a lot about the fact that when Margrethe wasn't there, um, their son Frederick kind of took precedence and was the most senior because he was the next monarch. And Henrik kind of had, he thought he should be the one who's the most senior when Margrethe isn't there. She never really seemed to, she just sort of seemed to roll her eyes and be like, yeah, that's Henrik. He complains. Like they, they seem to have loved each other very, very much. Um, I don't think there was any insinuation that, you know, there was any big stress on their marriage or anything because of it. I think that 
right until the end. She loved, he, he died in 2018. Um, she loved him very, very much. And again, that maybe is a similarity between the Queen and Philip that, you know, even if there were these difficulties, it was a very, you know, it was a great love affair, a great love story. Yeah, I think for both for both sets of sort of couples, there was that kind of there was the initial almost like backlash of this person isn't right to be the Queen's husband. And both Margarita and Elizabeth was like, mm, no, I'm marrying him. And then little things over the years, like the British royal family's descendants being Mountbatten Windsor rather than simply Windsor, or the Danish royal family descendants being given the Count or Countess of Montpezat, because that's from Henrik. Um, and yeah, there are, there are, I didn't really realise how many similarities there were, but like even looking through my notes now, it's things like um, when they became queen, um, they both had, you know, like Margarita obviously only had two children, but she had Frederick and Joachim, who were only, you know, three and two, which are roughly the same ages that Charles and Anne were when Elizabeth became queen 20 years earlier. Um, so it's, I mean, I've just said they're like secret twins, but 20 years apart. I think with Margarita in particular, there's um, this real kind of, she kind of reminds me of Anne in a way that she's mm. quite, I would be absolutely terrified to meet her in real life. Like, I feel like she could just like kill me and I would be like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> she's, she's got like a kind of like gutsy, powerful stance that I think Queen Elizabeth never really took on a masculine role. She was always like the queen, whereas Anne has often taken on you know, she's been knighted rather than made a dame of certain things. And I think Margarita sort of falls into that role of being like a far more, even though she's got a lot of, of I don't want to say masculine and feminine, but traditionally feminine interests, she's almost fallen into that more masculine role. One of the first things I ever learned about Margarita, um, so she had two children with Henrik, uh, Frederick and I've, I looked up how to pronounce this, but I've already forgotten. Joachim. Um, so she had Frederick and Joachim, or whoever. Um, and one of the first things I ever heard about her was that she doesn't like young children. And like, she loves her kids and she loves her grandkids, but she does not like being around young children. Um, and I was like, this is this is the woman for me. She is so relatable. But I, I think that does kind of, she's not, she's not a maternal person. I do also wonder if her, like her physical stature plays a part in that because she is very, very tall. Uh, she's like five foot 11 or something. And the queen has always been kind of small and pocket sized. And she's, she has that air of authority to her naturally. Um, but yeah, she has, um, she's played a very similar role in kind of her country as um, being a bit no nonsense. Um, but she's, she's not, Again, she's not supposed to be partisan and, you know, she's extremely popular in Denmark for her uh, and has been throughout her reign. And most Danish people sort of think that she, even if they're not personally in favour of the monarchy, they kind of view her as somebody who has done her job incredibly well. On the whole, the kind of assessment of her has been that she has done a very, very good job of um, being a figurehead and being, you know, an authority for Denmark without ever kind of crossing that line. But yeah, and we've spoken before about Margarita's real passion for the for the arts and how that sort of come through her whole life. Um, and I was reading today about how in 2023 there's going to be like a Margarita musical in Denmark um, that's going to follow her sort of life, which fascinates me. I don't speak Danish. I'd like to have to learn it for this musical I want to watch now. You know, every, well, not everyone, but a lot of royals have like their thing. And, you know, for Queen Elizabeth, it's 
horses and you know for somewhere else it's sailing or swimming or something and Margarita's is art and she is respected in the art world as an artist not as the Queen of Denmark and things like her initials of illustrations for Lord of the Rings weren't published under the name Queen Margarita of Denmark it was you know under a pseudonym and I always think that it's like it's like her hobby except her hobby happens to be you know designing costumes for Netflix shows that's one of the things I automatically associate with Margarita is kind of art and culture and um and like I was reading that she she did some translations as well like um I think it was French to Danish um with Henrik the two of them did some translations of books together so like she's a remarkably high achieving woman um and I'm sure that a lot of these things were made easier by the fact that she is the queen um, but as you say, she published some things under a pseudonym. For other things, she she doesn't do interviews promoting them. She's not going out there kind of doing the promo trail. Um, I don't know how she finds the time. Like, I struggle to do my actual job that I get paid to do. So doing that and then also designing costumes for Netflix and also translating a book and also just making my own mausoleum or whatever it is she did, you know, it just... I don't I honestly don't know how she finds the time and has the energy and motivation especially as she's a lot older than I am <laughs> yes definitely I think um she's always been the kind of I don't want to say like a rebel queen but I mean the first thing I learned about her was that she was a chain smoker and I was like a queen who smokes and then like the Danish family were like she will now only smoke in private and I was like that's such a like hilarious statement for anyone that's imagine you know Buckingham Palace be like from now on the Queen will only drink alcohol in her bedchamber like it's such a weird thing to be a public announcement but like she was so well known for smoking the Danish court was like "Mm, we should probably just admit that she's still gonna smoke just want to let that one know but she's gonna do it in private because of health reasons honestly it's one of my favorite things about her and I know that it shouldn't be because you know I mean I smoke but you know it's it's not a good thing I'm not going to encourage young people to smoke um or anything like that but it is one of my favorite things about her because it's just so so unexpected to see a queen just chain smoking like there are photographs of her in a full gown and tiara in, in the middle of a photo shoot and she's just puffing away on a cigarette my favorite photograph of her that has ever been taken is one where she was at a public engagement and she made a bishop light her cigarette for her (laughs) like a senior it was like it was like if the queen had asked the archbishop of canterbury to light her cigarette at a church service like it was just the most margrave thing i've ever seen and i mean i don't know danish culture well enough nobody seems to care at all um so i think that their attitude is just like yeah do whatever you want um but it has become this signature element of her personality and i think she is my overriding impression of Margrethe really is just that she's a bit of a quirky character. She's she's not a boring queen by any means. Like <laughs> no. some of the monarchs, when they um, take on the role of being the head of state, you know, they kind of they create this myth around them where they're, you know, I think that happens with the queen here. You know, she's we don't really know much about her as a person. She's kind of a, a symbol. She's she's not really a real person. I know she likes dogs and horses. Yeah, <laughs> we know it. she likes dogs and horses and Prince Andrew. Um, so she's also, we know she's got bad taste. But that's, you know, we don't know much about her as a person. Um, whereas my greater, my overriding impression is that she's just never lost her personality in in order to do her job. 
Like she can be a figurehead, but she can also smoke the house down. I just feel like you get more personality from her than you get from some other monarchs. Yes, I think, was it um, one of the Swedish royal christenings where she was sat next to, I'm sure it was a tiny Princess Leonor, and Leonor was just like fascinated because she was sat next to someone in a pretty tiara, in a pretty dress, and she's a baby and things are shiny. And Margarita was like really determinedly staring in the opposite direction, like, nope, I can't see you. It's the funniest thing because... Leonor was, you know, babies do just do that where they attach to somebody and they stare at them for ages. And she was staring at her so hard. And Margaret was like, wow, isn't that a really interesting bit of the ceiling over there? I mean, there was another photograph of, I think it was from the same wedding, actually, um, where she just sat down on the stairs. <laughs> like everyone was waiting for them to come in for the reception. And so there was, it was taking a little while and everyone else was sort of standing there in their gowns and tiaras chatting. And she just sat on the stairs. She was like, I'm done now. I'm going to sit down um in the middle of the staircase and I yeah it's things like that that I just just like if I think if I was going to be a queen not that that's ever going to happen but if I was going to be a queen that's probably the kind of queen I would be the only other well I'm sure there's lots of other things about Margarita but the other thing that really stands out for me is how I mean it's, it is her it was her birthday message a few years ago because Daisy is a nickname for any kind of form of Margaret or Margarita um and she's she is a daisy to her family, like how the queen was a lilibet to her family. And that there was a, a um, video message for her 80th birthday from all the European royals, apart from the Brits, because they were being snobby again. And they were like, hi, Aunt Daisy. And I was just like, that's so sweet. It gave me the same kind of vibe as when Philip died and Philippe and Letizia sent a letter to the Queen Elizabeth and were like, dear Aunt Lilibet. And I was like, yes, just keep doing this because it makes me feel sort of all warm and fuzzy inside, even though you are, you don't really know each other. But I liked it. And I, it did kind of strike me as there is, the European royals are a lot more sort of interconnected and closer than, you know, the British royals are to literally anyone. Um, but it was, it was very sweet and it very much showed that she is, well-respected within the other uh, royal families and well-liked as well because they all got involved and it was a very fun video and it wasn't boring and people stood there in suits being very serious. Yeah, I, I loved that video and it did show a kind of softer side and the more sort of family side. You know, she's the godparent to a lot of the royals in Europe and she's related to others and I think it was the big birthday before this one where they were all able to gather in person, of course, because it was pre-COVID. And um, they did the tradition. It's a tradition on Margaret's birthday where they gather out, people gather outside the window and sing to her, um, her bedroom window. And she like opens the bedroom window. And um, 10 or so years ago, um, all of these, these royals from Europe who were there for the gala celebrations gathered under her window together and sang happy birthday to her. Um and yeah, so I think you actually get quite a lot of those sweet moments from from Margrethe. I always forget how interlinked the royal families are. And then, you you know, you get things like Queen Margrethe's sister um, is Queen Anne Marie of Greece. And, you know, Prince Philip was Prince of Greece and Denmark, you know, and Queen Margrethe's mother was a Princess of Sweden. And, you know, they are so interlinked and there's not many, you know, completely out there I mean, Monaco, but you know, there aren't many royal families without the other who aren't interlinked in some way, who aren't family in some, you know, way. some are a lot closer than others, obviously. Um, and it is, I mean, it's it's a very easy PR move to be like, look, a family. But it it is, it's nice to kind of 
see that and you know because you you can't have that really with politicians I think you know you have the Kennedy family in America and the Bushes but they're political and they have opinions and that can be a problem whereas because monarchies are well in you know European monarchies tend to be partisan or non-partisan even um and they they don't have that kind of political status and they take almost like this kind of you like you don't know them that well you might know parts about their lives but you don't know them you can project onto them what you think um it's nice to see those moments where they do look more like a normal human being because they're interacting with you know their cousin-in-law I think she generally she's just scare me quite a bit not in like a bad way the same way Princess Anne scares me um you know Crown Princess Mary I think also has that kind of not to the same level as Margarita or Anne but they have that kind of they inspire a lot of like terrified respect in me uh, I mean that's that's all I want out of life is for people to be terrified and respect me I want terrified respect like, if you're not slightly scared of me what am I doing Uh, that was all we had for this week again it's been quite a weird week because we're still in that kind of between royals doing any actual work era Um, but hopefully over the next week or so things will pick up Um, like we mentioned at the beginning if you do have any questions about you know the Andrew situation send them in Um, but apart from that it's been really nice and really fun to talk about Margarita who was a royal I didn't actually know all that much about Um, And thank you, if you have stayed this long, very much for listening to our episode. And I hope you return next week. So that's bye from me. And goodbye from me.